The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So tonight I'd like to talk about wisdom and faith. And these are two qualities of mind that uh, are within a group of, let's say a list. The Buddha was a list maker. It was one of the Buddha's lists called the five faculties. The five faculties are faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And these five faculties together can be seen or thought of as the, um, the qualities or the states of mind or the, um, they're really kind of tools in a way that we develop, but they're, they're, they're qualities that become stronger in us as we practice. And they create the container for our meditation. They really are the tools that support the skill of meditation or the art of meditation. So faith is traditionally the first in the list. Um, I'm, I'm just like to, t- to talk, talk in a little bit more depth about faith and wisdom tonight. Last week I did an overview. Uh, and if you weren't here, that's okay. You know, I'll... I'll uh, cover what you need to hear tonight. It's, 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 uh, it's fine. It's kind of a standalone talk on faith and wisdom. Um, but I wanted to kind of talk in a little more depth about these two qualities that support our meditation. So faith is traditionally the first in the list, and wisdom is traditionally the last. There's kind of an understanding. One way of understanding these five faculties is that When faith is present, the energy, the second faculty, when faith is present, the energy for practice comes forth. And then when the energy for practice comes forth, mindfulness naturally develops. And when the energy and mindfulness are um, present together, concentration begins to arise. This is the fourth quality. And uh, out of the continuity of mindfulness, wisdom begins to arise. So they're often thought of or taught in kind of that sequential way. Um, And faith is usually talked about as being the first, the place where we start. But I really can't talk much about faith without talking about what it is that in the context of Buddhist practice, what is it that we have faith in? And that takes us back to the wisdom of the Buddha. So I'd like to start with wisdom tonight, which is the last quality uh, in the list of the five faculties. So the wisdom that the Buddha taught, there's lots of different things we can be wise about. We can be wise about driving a car, and we can be wise about our work, and we can be wise about being a parent or a partner. What the Buddha talked about in terms of his teaching, his um, orientation towards wisdom, was around the wisdom of not suffering. The wisdom related to understanding how and why we struggle in our lives. 
So his, uh, one of his statements about what he taught, he said, what I teach is just suffering and its end. That is it. That's what I teach. And so everything that the Buddha taught, all of the practices, all of the teachings, all of the wisdom he offered, was different ways into understanding and um, gaining some um, skill in working with how we suffer. So I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes. But I'd like to kind of set a context around wisdom. You know, wisdom is kind of a, I don't know, when I heard this word wisdom, you know, I, I created this like really grand thing. You know, it's like uh, some really big, huge thing. And um, we have to get it all. Like we have to understand all of what the Buddha taught before we start doing anything with it. And it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, at least in my own experience, what I have seen in my own practice is that the Buddha really offered a lot of different doorways in to the practice and to understanding how and why we suffer. And so what I've seen in my own practice is that even a tiny little bit of the Buddha's wisdom goes a really long way. And so if you are inspired or motivated by any aspect of the Buddhist teachings, working with that, as opposed to thinking, well, okay, I understand something about um, the hindrances and, and all of those ways that we struggle with aversion and greed, but I don't get delusion or I don't get this dependent origination thing, and not self is just like completely confusing. And what is this thing about unreliability and impermanence, and how does that all fit in? You know, there's so many different teachings and doorways. If there's any one piece of a practice, I mean, even just the simplicity of stay with the breath and let go of the um, thoughts, allow the thoughts to recede and come back to the breath. That includes just a little bit of wisdom, which is around the, um, the understanding that a lot of what creates our suffering is the way our thoughts run rampant. And if we can have a little bit of um, gentle letting go and coming back to something that's happening here in the present moment as opposed to being lost wandering off in our thoughts, we'll probably begin to notice how our mind lets go of some of the ways that we suffer around those thoughts. So even that small, simple instruction encompasses some of the wisdom of the Buddha. So there's different ways to talk about wisdom um, you know, the, and different ways we connect with wisdom. The first doorway that we connect with wisdom is just by hearing. We hear some teachings. We hear something of what the Buddha taught. We hear a Dharma talk. We read a book. So this is the first kind of wisdom 
but we have to actually start somewhere. We have to hear something. We have to hear some of the teachings. This is the first kind of wisdom, the wisdom of learning, essentially, the wisdom of taking in information. Once we've taken in that information, then our mind starts to work on it. We don't just take it in and, you know, it's like, you know, put it into some storeroom somewhere. Our minds start to massage it. We think about it. We reflect on it. We consider whether it makes sense to us. We consider whether it seems appropriate to act on it, to do something with it. This is the second kind of wisdom, the wisdom of reflection. And it's a little bit more active. It is in the intellectual sphere. So it is um, kind of taking in some of the information and thinking about it, recognizing whether or not it makes sense to you. Reflecting on it, creating some kind of perhaps intellectual map or intellectual understanding of your own. So this is the second kind of wisdom. And we learn anything, and it kind of proceeds in this way. You know, we, um, we learn how to play some kind of game, learn how to play basketball. The first thing we need to do is to learn the rules of the game. But we, it doesn't do us any good to just, you know, learn the rules and stick them somewhere in our brains, you know, if, we, if we're interested in playing the game, we have to, you know, we have to learn the rules, we have to remember them. So it's not just hearing them, we have to actually engage with them, reflect on them, remember them, see how the, all the rules of the game fit together so that we can understand how the parts of the game work. And then we act, we begin to practice. Practice playing the game. And that's where the third kind of wisdom comes in that we begin to understand for ourselves how this wisdom impacts us. We begin to understand, not just intellectually, but in our experience. How does this wisdom, what is the truth of this wisdom, experientially? So that's the, the three levels of wisdom, and I'll come back to that as I talk a little bit more about the specific kind of wisdom that the Buddha offered us. So the the most succinct framing of wisdom in the Buddha's teachings is the um, expression of the Four Noble Truths. There is suffering. There is a cause of suffering. The truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the ending of suffering, and the truth of the path leading to the ending of suffering. This, again, it's no big surprise that the um, key expression of the wisdom relates to suffering, relates to dukkha, this Pali term dukkha that is often translated as suffering. So what is this dukkha? You know, suffering. The word suffering for us evokes certain things. And the way the Buddha talked about it may be somewhat different than the way we might typically think about that word. When we think about what suffering is, often we think about particular events, perhaps, things happening to us, or situations in our lives, 
um, a partner leaves us and that's suffering, or we get sick and that's suffering, or um, we lose our job and that's suffering, or you know, so there's things that happen in the world. There's a war and it's suffering. There's famine in Africa and it's suffering. And there is a, a kind of objective, you know, there is for, for certain kinds of events in the world, there is kind of an objective suffering to that. But that is actually not what the Buddha meant by dukkha. What he meant by dukkha, or, or actually the possibility that the Buddha offered us in the third noble truth, the possibility of the ending of dukkha, the possibility of the ending of dukkha doesn't mean that there's going to be a war-free, famine-free world in which nobody is mean or uh, partners never leave each other or people never die. It doesn't mean that. But rather what it means is that it's possible to be peaceful and at ease in the midst of whatever circumstances are present. And it's possible to have an open heart in terms of how we act in the world around those circumstances. So the, the dukkha that the Buddha talked about isn't the external conditions. It's how we are with those conditions. Is our mind peaceful, at ease, or is it angry, frustrated, confused, prideful, wanting, greedy, lustful, confused, bored? The state of mind all of those various reactions that we tend to have when things in the world, the Buddha talked about eight worldly winds, praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute. He said, these things come and go. You know, this is not going to go away no matter what we do. These things are going to be happening. But we can be peaceful amidst all of that. We can't control those worldly winds. We can't control how other people are going to react to us. We can't control necessarily, you know, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And yet there is some measure of possibility for us to not be struggling, angry, confused, frightened in the midst of it, but rather peaceful and at ease. And this is the point at which the Buddha offered his teachings. How do we find peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of these worldly winds that we don't have control over? In that um, looking at peace as being an inner phenomenon rather than an outer phenomenon, it's the, you know, the peace being how we are with circumstances rather than circumstances being peaceful. The second noble truth, the cause of our suffering, is 
reactivity in our minds. It is craving, essentially wanting the outer circumstances to be other than they are. Wanting our conditions to be other than they are. So this, um, this wanting things to be other than they are, there's often a little confusion around this and that um, if we don't want things to be other than they are, how does any change ever happen? And, um, you know, this is a, that's kind of a, it's a, it's an interesting perspective shift for us here. And it's a, it's a critical distinction in our minds between a kind of wanting, a kind of craving that is demanding circumstances to be a certain way versus a kind of wish or aspiration for there to be peace in the world, happiness in the world. So the, the craving of the, of the suffering in our minds is a kind of a craving that demands a particular result, demands things be a certain way. I'm not going to be okay unless I have this job. I'm not going to be okay unless my partner comes back to me. I'm not going to be okay unless, I'm not going to, unless, unless, unless. The, uh, the aspiration for the wish that people be happy, the wish that there not be suffering in the world, the aspiration to take action when one sees someone suffering, when, when, someone, when we see discrimination in the world, the, the wish to alleviate suffering can come from an open heart rather than a contracted heart. And that's the, the real distinction, actually, in the craving. Craving feels contracted. Aspiration has much more of an open quality, a kind of a a sense of possibility as opposed to um, restriction. The um, fourth noble truth, the path leading to the ending of suffering, is essentially a set of tools that the Buddha offers us to cultivate the skills that help us to understand this kind of craving and begin to help us to see that this kind of wanting, you know, that when this kind of wanting springs up, this wanting things to be other than they are, already, as soon as that wanting springs up, there's a lot going on. One of the things that's going on there is a belief that the wanting has to be satisfied in order for happiness to be to follow. Wanting, the quality of wanting, this craving, doesn't tell you, doesn't let you know that ease and happiness will follow if the wanting goes away. The wanting has got this delusional quality to it that makes us believe we have to get the thing that we want, or the situation, the life situation that we want, in order to be happy. 
But when we start to look at this with our practice, we start to see that the experience of craving itself, that's where the problem is. That when the craving, and craving is a phenomenon, impermanent phenomenon, if you don't act on it and just hang out with it and look at it and don't buy into its story, buy into its delusion that it has to be satisfied, it will go away. And in that, in seeing that, you get a taste of the possibility of the freedom of the third noble truth that the Buddha talked about. The ending of craving is freedom. That, that happiness can follow not by getting what we want, but by letting go of the wanting. By having the wanting actually simply release. It's not something we can do so much as it is just being with the wanting, observing it until it kind of goes away on its own. Because it will. It will go away on its own. So that's a kind of a whirlwind tour through the Four Noble Truths. I sometimes talk about the Four Noble Truths for weeks. But that's all I'm going to talk about them for tonight, specifically. In terms of wisdom, that is one of the key teachings that the Buddha offers. The wisdom of the Four Noble Truths. It includes both an understanding of suffering, that suffering has a cause. That's a key piece of the wisdom there. That there's a cause and effect relationship going on. There's a cause to our suffering. It's not random. And that it is an internal phenomenon, not the circumstances of the world that create our suffering. So all of these pieces are part of the the wisdom that the Buddha offers us. So we need, this is where we begin to tie back to faith, We need some sense of trust that this description of reality makes some sense. If it makes no sense to us, then we're probably not going to take up any of the explorations the Buddha suggests that we take up. So we need some sense of trust in the validity, that it expresses something that is useful for us, that these Four Noble Truths express something useful for us. And the other way that this begins to tie into faith is that the, um, the Four Noble Truths, in terms of wisdom and in terms of um, faith. Sometimes the word faith for us conjures up the, uh, the idea of something to believe. That we, we, we you know, it, it, at least for me, that's, that's what, something to believe that cannot be verified experientially. That's kind of what I in, uh, understood by that word faith. And there's some other words that I think faith can be translated as. Um, that that the, um, 
literal, apparently literal translation of the term, Pali term for faith, faith, which is sata, means something like to place your heart upon. So what is it that we're placing our hearts upon? What is it that we're investing our heart into? The, uh, the Buddha's teachings and the Buddha's exploration of the Four Noble Truths is not just about believing them. Taking them in is that first kind of wisdom, you know, the learning about, the, ref- and the, the uh, hearing about. The Pali for that first kind of wind- wisdom is suttamaya panya, panya mean- meaning wisdom and uh, sutta meaning to hear. So the wisdom that comes from hearing or reading or taking in information. So we hear this information and then we start to think about it. Again, so, you know, reflecting on these truths, reflecting on what this means to us, reflecting on perhaps asking questions. This part doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't understand this part. But these truths are not simply meant to be believed. The Buddha encouraged us to act on these truths. And he offered actually an action to go with each truth. He said that the truth of suffering is meant to be understood. We are meant to understand suffering. Understand it in this way of, uh, as I was describing earlier, um, suffering not being the circumstances in the world, but how we are in relation to the circumstances in the world. And so the action associated with the first noble truth to understand suffering, not an intellectual understanding that the Buddha is pointing to here, but a an experiential understanding. What is it like to turn our attention from the circumstances of the world to the experience that's happening in relation to the circumstances of the world? Circumstances of the world, praise. Ah, we feel good, we feel puffed up. What does that feel like? Blame. Two minutes later, somebody's, you know, somebody's set telling us that that was really great, and two minutes later, well, that was the worst talk I've ever heard in my life. And blame, and how does that make us feel? So rather than focusing on the circumstances in the world, what is it like to be responding or reacting to that? How does it feel to have aversion? How does it feel to be deflated? How does it feel to be inflated and pride with pride? What is the experience? This uh, turning towards this uh, meeting our experience with mindfulness is the action the Buddha suggested we take on the first noble truth. This action is really, I feel, this this action, along with the action on the fourth noble truth, which is that we cultivate the path. We cultivate the qualities that support our understanding suffering. Wise 
wise understanding, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. We cultivate those qualities. And we use those qualities to understand suffering experientially. From there, the action associated with the second noble truth is to let go of the cause of suffering. And in my experience, well, there's some possibility that we can sometimes consciously recognize, oh, you know, not so helpful to feel angry right now. Maybe I can, you know, bring some metta into the mind. Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can actively let go of the uh, heart that's clenched and tight. But more often what I find is that it's actually the bringing of the tools of the Eightfold Path to understand suffering and that the letting go is a result of understanding. When we deeply understand suffering, the heart naturally lets go of that contraction, of that tightness. And then in that letting go, in that very letting go, there is the release from the suffering. And that's the action associated with the third noble truth, realizing the ending of suffering. So, faith is the quality that allows us to begin to engage with the practices. We hear something of the teachings. You know, unless we hear something to engage with, we're not, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing to have faith in. So the, the faith is really not a faith that's about an idea. It's more of a faith that this sounds like a set of actions that sound like it'll be helpful for my life. So the faith impels us towards action. The confidence, that's another word, confidence that we sometimes use or trust. That we, um, hearing the teachings and the fact that the teachings incorporate action, the faith is what, the faith in that whole description of the Four Noble Truths isn't simply faith in, well, that sounds like a a nice description of reality. The faith is what impels us to take up the actions, to cultivate the path and to understand the suffering. So faith also has different levels to it, like wisdom has different levels to it. Initially, the, uh, the faith, you know, comes, coming along with the, um, the level of wisdom that is the first couple of levels of wisdom, of learning and reflecting, there, before we've had much in the way of even deciding to take the action, there's a, um, what, what could be called bright faith. This is an unverified faith. But it is, it is, you know, on reflection, we consider, well, maybe this is worth trying. And that may be what 
faith is for you initially. For me, that's what it was. I told this story last week that when I first read some teachings of the Buddha, I didn't understand much of it. And this is, this is where and why I say sometimes that it, you, know, you don't need to understand much of the wisdom. A little bit goes a long way. I read this book called Everyday Zen by Joe Gobeck. And I didn't understand much of it, but I got this one message that came through a few times, and that was something like, rather than acting on anger or a difficult emotion or reactive emotion, turn towards it. So again, it was, it was that let go of the circumstances and turn towards what is this experience? What does it feel like to be angry? And I, heard, I, I read that, I, heard, I read that, and it's like, what good is that going to do? You know, that was my initial read of that. It's like I could, have, I could not see any way that that would make sense, that that would make any difference. And yet, I was willing to try something because nothing else had worked. And so I began to try that. And it actually didn't take me very long before I began to experience the benefits of letting go of the circumstances and turning towards the experience. A sense of spaciousness. A sense of ease around my difficulty. Not being quite so enmeshed in the struggle and able to take a little perspective. So this is the beginning of the next kind of faith, which is um, called verified faith. That we begin to understand for ourselves the value of the actions, the value of the practices that the Buddha suggests, the value of that simple tool of turning towards our difficult experience. We experience the shift. We experience a sense of space, perhaps. That's the beginning of verified faith. Just the very beginning. And this um, cycles through. We, having had some experience of possibility based on actually exploring and practicing and engaging with the teachings, we get more interested in continuing. So the verified faith feeds the bright faith, feeds, encourages us to keep going. When we get those little tastes of verified faith, we get the little sense of, oh, sometimes I, when I can, I can see that this is, this is just anger that's arising. You know, it, it, there's some spaciousness and ease when I observe it as a phenomenon instead of being caught by the beliefs around the anger, believing that it's a big problem, that that person has done that thing, and how can I get back at them, and what can I do to make sure they never do this again, rather than being caught in the belief of that to turn towards the feeling itself creates a sense of a little bit of shift, a little bit of spaciousness, a little bit of movement towards well-being. And yet we're not always living in that. Even after having had that experience of verified faith, we get caught over and over again. 
we find ourselves caught back in the same patterns, the same habits. And sometimes we kind of second-guess ourselves and doubt can creep in. It's like, well, I've already seen this once. Why can't I see it again? What's my problem? I must be doing it wrong. Clearly, if I were doing it right, I would have that shift that happened last time and it's not happening, so I'm doing something wrong. That's doubt creeping in. All that I can say is that from my own experience, over and over again, sometimes when we're mindful of something challenging like that, sometimes there's a shift. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes what we get to meet is the suffering of the state. We don't get to meet the ease or the spaciousness that comes. And so this is where faith, we need to you know, continue to have faith and continue to practice as opposed to giving up or believing that doubt that that couldn't have, that couldn't have been true. I, I, I couldn't have seen it. It, it must, I must not have seen it right, or I must be doing it wrong. Neither one of those has to be true. Actually, I've seen it over and over again that those shifts happen sometimes, and other times we just have to meet the difficulty over and over again. And over time, there are more shifts. So that exploration around anger... Over time, I saw kind of long-term changes around that anger. It took years. But over time, that anger at a particular person, I'm not saying I'm free from anger. I'm not saying that. But the anger that I experienced at that particular person at that time, completely gone. No traces of it left. And it came through the willingness to keep meeting it over and over and over. Sometimes meeting it and feeling the suffering of it and recognizing, I remember times being in the midst of a retreat and being caught in the middle of some painful mind state. And my mind was saying, I'd let go of this if I knew how. And just having no idea how to let go. And that's not a problem. That's not not that... Um, you're doing it wrong. It's just that sometimes the mind doesn't know how to let go. It's not that... And actually, there, there is wisdom being cultivated there too. This is um, not the kind of wisdom we like... It's not what we think of as wisdom, but uh, it is the wisdom of really getting that in this case, for instance, anger is suffering. Really getting that anger creates a sense of non-well-being in this mind and body. And that's actually an insight. When I first started looking at my anger, I had no idea it was painful to feel anger. I was clueless about that. I was so focused on having the anger hurt somebody else that I didn't realize it was hurting me. So the recognition 
this is painful, is actually an insight. It is part of the wisdom that develops that the mind begins to recognize that these states of mind, the contracted, clinging, craving, that the states of mind that grow out of greed, aversion, and delusion, they are suffering right here and right now. This is wisdom that develops. And sometimes, sometimes we actually get to see the space that's created. Sometimes we get to see that. We get to feel also some ease or some release, some peace that comes with the, the letting go of that state of mind. And that's, a, that's an insight too. So the, the verified faith uh, and the bright faith kind of cycle with each other. We have moments of recognizing, oh, this is how the wisdom, this is the truth of this expression of the Four Noble Truths. This is the dukkha, anger, this is dukkha, that's the first noble truth. When there's a recognition of the letting go of it, that's the wisdom of the second noble truth, the, the letting go of the craving that's causing that. So we keep going, keep practicing. The faith keeps, it's kind of like the, the, the engine that keeps our practice going. So faith and wisdom need to be balanced. If faith is stronger than wisdom, if, the, if there's stronger faith than wisdom, we can end up in a kind of a situation of blind faith where we um, aren't using our own minds and our own experience to kind of counter, counterbalance the faith. You know, this can lead to um, a judgmental mind around ourselves, around our own. I mean, uh, you know, it could lead to something like, well, if I'm a good Buddhist, I shouldn't experience anger. You know, some, something like that. You know, we, we, we um, you know, have a sense of uh, the possibility, but without the wisdom that holds both sides. If wisdom is stronger than faith, that can tend to keep us in a place of intellectual exploration of the teachings rather than actually engaging. Because it it is the faith that takes us into action. Faith, confidence, takes us into the action. So when wisdom is stronger than faith, sometimes we have this belief that an intellectual understanding is sufficient. And the last piece I'll say is that um, there's a kind of a, a teaching around how dukkha suffering is created in a, a chain, in a cycle. 
You know, that just based on our habits of mind, we, the craving, the clinging, leads us towards those challenging states of mind, which leads us to suffering. So we, and they tend to, it tends to perpetuate itself. When we get angry, uh, we see the world through a filter of anger, and then we keep acting in that way. So it tends to fuel itself. There's another teaching of how the whole pathway towards freedom comes about. It's also a chain of cause and effect. The chain this, that's describing how suffering is created is a, it's a cause and effect uh, cycle. And there's an, another chain that the Buddha describes that takes us from suffering and leads us towards freedom. And this is a different path. And what is required in that moment, or what is required, there's a, this one teaching that the Buddha offered. He said, suffering leads to bewilderment or to search. If suffering leads to bewilderment, confusion, it generally cycles back on itself over and over again. Suffering leads to bewilderment, leads to more suffering, leads to bewilderment, leads to more suffering, leads to bewilderment. When there is a sense of, and the the way the Buddha phrased it is, sometimes suffering leads to this question, does anyone know a way out of this suffering? And that happened to me in, uh, in my struggles and that's when I decided you know it's like well no but nothing else anybody has said has done any good you know this doesn't make any sense this teaching about turning towards anger but hey I'm willing to give it a try it's like I read these books that said this helps and it's like okay we'll give that a try and so the the moment when suffering is open to that question Is there a way out? And we hear a teaching that says, yes, it's possible. That's where faith can be born. And faith is the first step on that chain that leads us towards freedom. I'll read you the the list. that uh, This is called Transcendent Dependent Origination, which is starting from suffering, step by step, towards freedom. Suffering, when met with the uh, understanding of a liberative teaching, or the connection to a teaching that says it's possible to be free from suffering, that can lead to faith. Faith leads to gladness. Gladness leads to rapture. Rapture leads to tranquility. Tranquility leads to happiness. Happiness leads to concentration. Concentration leads to, essentially, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. That leads to a disenchantment with the way we've been fooled by our delusions which leads to a 
dispassion and freedom. So the play, the interplay between wisdom and faith connects right to this teaching of dukkha. And once we step onto the path, the possibility can lead us towards ultimately being free from suffering. I certainly have experienced a great deal of freedom. I'm not completely free by any means, but so much shifting has happened by applying this simple tool, this very simple tool, turning towards, turning towards the experience, being willing to notice this is what's arising here and now. This is what's happening in my experience here and now. Not judging it, not trying to fix it, not trying to change it. And watching things shift and change in a very natural, organic way. As the Buddha describes, it's a natural unfolding once we step onto the path. And it's not like, you know, a smooth, ever-ascending, you know, easier and easier path. It's got a lot of peaks and valleys, but it, if you stay on, if you keep, if you keep going, it takes you to freedom. So, there's not any time for questions, really. Um, Next week I'll talk about the other three faculties, the energy, mindfulness, and concentration, which really, that's the, that's the practice. You know, that's, that's what we engage with. That's, that's uh, how we become free. It doesn't happen just by wishing it. It happens by engaging. So thank you for your attention.